Welcome to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. I'm Nick Sinclair and this is the go-to podcast if you're an accountant and looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team for your accounting firm. Here you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity and deliver more to clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. Today I interviewed Jamie Johns, CEO of Sky Accountants for the Offshore Accountant Podcast. Jamie is a real innovator and has an incredible story of growth and how he has developed the CEO role for his firm. If you're looking to get off the tools and focus on growing your firm, this is a must-listen-to podcast session. Hi, I'm Jamie Johns, CEO of Sky Accountants, and you're listening to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. So, Jamie, give us an overview of the Sky Accounting team structure, both locally and offshore. A bit about your team members, roles, how long you've been with you for. Yeah, thanks, Nick. So, yeah, we've got about a, a team of 30 these days. Um, we've got an office in uh, Ballarat. Uh, it's about an hour and a half um, from Melbourne and then another office over in Sunbury, which is about uh, 30 minutes from the CDB. Uh, and then we've got an office... Uh, uh, with TOA in the Philippines. Um, we've got staff placed in the Clark office there and also in Manila. Uh, the team over there, I think, is about uh, 11 or 12 now. Um, and, yeah, we, we run uh, my role as the CEO, so I, I just work on the business every day. Um, and we've, we run about four or five teams. Um, so within the business, we sort of have about three or four divisions. We've got financial planning, We've got accounting division, uh, we've got uh, bookkeeping division, and we've we've actually bought other bookkeeping businesses as well. And we're just about to launch a, a mentoring um, a mentoring business as well. So yeah, so so different, a lot of different things going on. Excellent, Jamie. You're a innovator and early adopter. You've been you were actually our first client um, back at the start of 2014. So you've obviously been on this offshoring journey um, for some years now. So really looking forward to getting your insights today as we go through the podcast. One thing that really fascinates me, Jamie, um, dealing with you over the years is the fact that you are a CEO of the business. So do you want to just expand on what your role is because? I think for a lot of accounting firms, if they could actually get their owner to this point or have a CEO in the business, I've seen the growth that you've gone through over the years and, and the ability to plug in other business units now and, and continue to grow. Tell us a little bit more about your role um, yeah. as the sole focus being in the CEO and what made you transition across into that? My role now is just one thing and that's to grow the company. Um, it's to grow the company across those you know three or four divisions that I spoke of earlier um, so that's that's the number one role of the CEO is just is basically just to focus on growing the business and then you know the question comes to comes down to you know how do you do that so in order to do that I, th I think the, the biggest things is to look at just to continually look at your metrics so um, so all all the managers that that I have um, in charge of their teams they're all given you know really clear, specific goals around what they have to achieve and we basically look at those goals weekly um, so that that routine and rhythm breeds accountability so it's uh, I just say it's like going to the gym um, you know every every second day or whatever and we do the same thing in our business is just every week you know we have a weekly tactical meeting that covers you know five key 
areas to make sure that we're on target. The, my role sort of came out of being the CEO I was really just, um, you know, is to overcome the barriers to growth. I think for any business and a lot of the listeners would have heard of Vern Harnish and he talks about three barriers and, you know, leadership scalability and, and often marketing or margins. So my focus um, when I met Vern, you know, quite a few years ago now was to overcome those three barriers. So, you know, one is develop a really core leadership team. And, um, you know, for those listeners out there that know us, we've, we've got Tim and, and, and Paul and, and Ash, and they have, they have two sets of roles. One, they have internal operational roles. Um, but they also manage the clients and manage their team as well. So it's okay to grow, but you really have got to get your foundations right because if, if you try and grow and you've got problems, you're only going to leave, leverage problems. Get what you've got working, you know, as perfectly as you can before you go to scale. That That's the key. Um, so, you know, so leadership's the core team. Scalability is all about uh, moving your business to the cloud so you can work anywhere, anytime. Um, the same with the offshore team, you know, that gave us capacity. Obviously, the margins are good, unlimited supply of labor. And then, so you sort of really got those three things. And the last point is, is your marketing or margins. And that was all about for us is just having a niche in the market, which is like hospitality and uh, and clubs and pubs. So yeah, my role is to grow the business. And um, you know, those three barriers will will be in any business, whether it's bookkeeping, uh, accounting or financial planning. Um, it's all about trying to scale, but trying to, trying to scale uh, you know, without losing control. So yeah, hopefully Excellent. that that explains it a bit. <laughs> you know, it definitely does. So tell us a little bit more about your niche that you focus on, because it is very specific and clear who you look after, the type of clients you want, and that you will work with. So over the years, um, most accounts will have various different clients. Like when when you start out, like I did, I just took it, took everything that came across a desk, just to get going. And then I had a lot of hospitality clients and. Um, you know, you, you you get to know some of the more very successful clients, and then I sort of aligned with a couple of CEOs of um, larger gaming clubs and uh, got an insight into how a really successful gaming club works. And if you can team up with those type of people, those type of clients, you you'll get an insight into yourself, into the industry. So not not just the tax and uh, you know their financial statements and all that type of thing, but actually operationally. So you'll 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 understand their business and and what makes their business successful. So in the and we just I decided on um, to focus on uh, gaming clubs with the whole offering of uh, you know food and bev um, entertainment all that type of thing so yeah we we just hone in onto that it's just an industry that's right for disruption um, a lot of the boards are older type people who uh, don't understand the cloud and so you know we can come in and show them the technology and they're blown away by the technology and the fact that you publicize and say that you specialize is is really a big factor and part of that at the moment is I'm, I'm just writing a book co-authoring a book with a ceo of a successful you know gaming venue it's called 101 ways to include include your pub or club so you know i think uh, getting published is is a as a great step forward and i should have done it earlier but um if it just brings credibility straight away to that industry so 
yeah. Excellent. Now, Jamie, you've I mentioned earlier you've been a client of ours right from day one. You're the the first accounting firm client of ours. So, what mm. was the motivations behind going into um, offshoring, and why so early in the journey? Obviously, I know you as an innovator and an early adopter, but tell us a little bit about your story of setting up your offshore team because it started off slow and then it ramped really fast. Um, so, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, look, I think um, it's uh, those few years ago now, but um, yeah, look, I was at a seminar, I think Rob Nixon was running and uh, I think there was an interview that he may have done with you and, and Rob had done a tour in the Philippines and, you know, seeing seeing what's happening in the global economy and the world. And um, so we saw that and I, I just said, you know, we've, we've got to test this. So I think for any business, you've got to be aware of, um, you know, where the world's heading in general what markets are doing and then and then just testing the waters so you know not going full steam too hard but just just test the waters um, we always try heaps of things so you know whether it's software um, you know whether it's human resources or whatever it is we always love to test things and um, you can't be scared of change you got to try and uh, embrace the change and if it works, you know, if you test it and it works, then good, you know. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, well, you haven't it doesn't cost you too much. So um, it's good to test things, and you know, you have little setbacks. Um, but if you sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel, um, you know, it's going to work. So I think it's just attitude, Nick. Is um, you know, particularly from the leaders, that the partners in the firms have to have that forward thinking um, ability to allow the staff to test things, and then you know, did, how, how do we go? Did this work or didn't it work? You know, so look at cost benefit, but you're not going to know until you test things and you've got to breed that culture. Um, it's got to come from the leadership and then it'll flow down to the rest of the team and, you know, they'll get excited about, you know, oh, oh we're actually a firm that adopts things. You know, we make changes. We're ready to, you know, move and move and shake or whatever. So that's the type of culture that you want. Um, and that's sort of, that's just got to come from the leadership. Yeah. Cool. So, Jamie, at the start, I mean, tell us a little bit more, I suppose, about the details with your offshore team that you set up um, with us. Yep. You started off with a couple of people. Um, what was the yep. real reason you suddenly then ramped it up to what it is today? Um, yeah, just as we grew, Nick. So we started with a couple and um, we trained them up. And then once you get a couple, you get leverage because the other people there can train the others. And then with, with a couple of acquisitions that we did, um, it was just only natural to to do a capacity plan and and um, you know fit in the fit in the the offshore team you know where we needed them. Um, so as we grew, you know naturally as we grew, the team there grew, and uh, it just works. So you know it's just all in the how. You've got to get the technology set up. Um, you've got to get your meeting rhythm set up. Um, you know you they're just like any other team that you would have in Australia, the US or New Zealand, it doesn't matter. You just treat them all the same. Uh, we, we use a brilliant little platform called Tiny Pulse that, that um, measures all our internal sort of net promoter score. You know, it's really important when you're, when you're in leadership position to, to keep all your team as happy as you can. Um, yeah. It probably leads into the next question, which is um, for someone looking to set up an offshore team, what advice would you give them to enable them to scale it um, as quickly as possible? So what are the, th the three most critical things that you would spend your time on if you were to redo it again? Yeah, yeah, look, um, the very first one is make sure you appoint one person as their manager. So don't don't try and have two or three people, you know, as their boss. So just just have one person as your offshore team's manager. They should be in touch with them at least twice a day. 
you know, morning and afternoon. Um, you should do your daily huddles with, with your offshore team. Um, you should have all your technology sort of basically set up. You'll never have it 100% right, but um, make sure that the technology side is set up. So the security, um, you know, everything in the cloud, make sure you have, we have what's called SOP. So we have a lot of standard operating procedure videos. We've got videos after videos after videos, SOPs. So, you know, don't get paralysis uh, by analysis, just make a start and build your videos as you go. So, you know, you can video how to do a bank rec, you can video how to do a set of financial statements, you can video how to do a tax return. So we use a little product called Snagit. So yeah, they're the three critical things. Just, uh, you know, show them good leadership, um, give them plenty of work. Um, and it's the old delegation thing, give them smart goals. Don't just say, oh, here's a job and leave them. You know, don't abdicate. You know, true delegation is saying, you know, it's, it's time bound, it's measurable, and um, you know you, you want to help them and empower them to reach their goals. So you know, give them give them smart goals. Don't just give them a job and say, well, here's a job, do it. Um, you know, we, we give our people jobs and we we give them um, the resources, the accountability. You know, the consequences if they don't hit the targets and if they do. And so yeah, it's it's all about good delegation. So yeah, so they're they're the, they're the main thing, Nick. Yeah. I think one of the you've made some good points there, Jamie, and, and it's really operating this as another office as part of Sky Accounting, and that's where we see the best mm. firms that can make this um, the offshoring team grow and scale the quickest are ones that treat it as another office. They don't treat it as an offshore provider where you just send them work. And I mean, you mm. invest a lot in your people, and and you treat the team in the Philippines as your team and, and that's probably one of the reasons why um, your ability to retain your staff there, grow your team and scale your team is, is you know, been, yeah. been as good as it has been. Um, if you had one word or a phrase to describe the value your offshore team provides, what would it be? Yeah, put it this way, Nick. It, we just treat them as part of our team. A one word's a pretty tough one, but um, you know, you could you could say value. But you know, for any people wanting to grow their accountancy practice, you know, your your people will be your biggest challenge, but they're your biggest asset. So you could say, you know, two words: biggest asset. You know, yep. that that there'd be two words: biggest asset, because you, you can't do anything without your teams. You can't scale a business. So you know, you if you're the the partner or the leader in the firm, you've got to be really, really good with your people skills, you know, and leadership skills. So, um, you know, that's what I've had to work on really hard over the last three years is just leadership skills, leadership skills, you know, doesn't matter how good I can do a tax return, that, that's irrelevant, you know. When you get to the point where you've got, you know, more than five staff, 10 staff, it's all about leadership because your, your team is your single biggest asset. And every time you go to hire someone, you know, a lot of people just think, oh, that's more expense, that's more expense. We, we don't. We just think, oh, we're going to hire someone. That's another asset. That's another asset to our balance sheet. That's how we think, you know, uh, 10 years ago, I probably think, oh, hire someone on, that's an expense. You know, but now it's, oh, no, nah, we're going to hire someone. That's actually an asset. <laughs> That's a great way to look at it. So there's a lot of perceptions about offshorings. Um, you would have heard a lot over the years. What um, has surprised you the most, particularly when you went to the Philippines? What was the thing that stood out the most? Because obviously you hear a lot of things about offshoring. What really surprised you the most when you went there? I think what surprised me the most was just how uh, nice and accommodating the people are. You know, you've got to step outside your own backyard and go over there and, and talk to the people. You know, for, for those of us who have, you know, probably been backpackers and travelled and, you know, you've probably got a really big worldview of, um, you know, different cultures, different countries, different races, different religions, different people. Um, if you've got that worldview, it's not a problem. 
um, you know, well, look, I hadn't travelled. I, I wasn't, you know, one of these, like some of my mates who did backpacked around and went overseas everywhere. Um, but always had the, you know, it was just the mindset that um, people are the same all over the world. They've got the same hopes. They've got the same dreams. They've got the same values. Uh, when it comes down to we all have. And your team of the Philippines are no different. You know, they've got the same aspirations and inspirations as you and I. So, um, you know, my view was, you know, win-win. We, we help them. They, they their work hours are better. They get paid better. Um, you know what's the matter with that? We're not we're not all we're doing is is, is making their life better, um, and they're making our lives better. So you know we can do more work. We can get more work out. We can help our clients better. We can service our clients better. The list just goes on and on. It's just a win win nick. So you know some, some people have said to me, oh, what about you know they say, oh, what about Australian jobs? You know what about this? What about that? It's all comparative. It's it's a global economy, and uh, you know we've we've seen what's happened to the world when we've had protectionism. You know we get Trump in, we get Brexit, all these type of things. So you've got to have a big picture view, and then bring that back to you know like a micro level and say, okay, well how am I going to make the world better? That that's what that's where it comes from me. Yeah. And I and look, I agree. And you know we've got over two hundred and fifty accounting firms that we're working with um, across the US, the UK, Australia, New Zealand. Um, and the reality is, is that I can honestly say that over 95% of them, their local teams are growing just as quick as their offshore team is. Um, mm. So, you know, that is one of the big myths and always love to have conversations around that. So let's talk about, I suppose, Sky Accounting um, and the year ahead. What's your plan for your offshore team? Um, how do you keep growing your team, their capacity and their performance? Yeah, so as as our firm grows, so it's really important, you know, one of your key metrics is, um, you know, that's pretty basic, is uh, try and keep your clients and try and get new ones. So so that's the first thing. And then obviously, if you can do that, um, you know, you've got to keep your team. So as our sales, as our revenue grows, you know, it's more work. So we look at what's called a capacity plan. Um, it's all it's all structured. So you know, do we need another person? Yes, we do. No, we don't. So so yeah, as we grow, we'll just keep growing our overseas office, our offshore team. Um, you know, and we and we say that with you know with pride that they're our grinders. You know, they they love doing getting that work out. So they you know we've got their grinders and they help our minders. And um, you know, the important thing is just to structure them. You know, different accounting firms do different. You know, they structure their their HR or their teams or their org chart differently. What works really well for us is we have teams and we have like really deep and narrow teams. So, you know, we might only have two of the senior accountants reporting um, directly to say, you know, the client manager and then, and then you know, the, the more junior accountants or bookkeepers, you know, they they report to the guys, the more senior accounts above them. So then you get leverage because in our game, in our industry, it's all about leverage. It's all about time. Time's the only thing we've got. Um, so we have, yeah, we run teams and really deep and narrow teams. Um, and that, that just gives like the client manager the maximum amount of, of leverage that they, that they can get. Yeah. Yeah, great. So recommendations for listeners. What are some of your top things to do in managing an offshore team? Yeah, uh, your daily huddle is absolutely critical. So yeah, three questions every day. So you ring up, you know, ring, ring up um, your accountants as a manager and say, you know, what are you working on today? What are, what are your list of things? So, you know, you might workflow management, have some sort of workflow management product. So, you know, 
what what are your list of things you you've got on your board today? What are you getting, you know? Second question: What are you getting done done today? What what's your actual metric? We say, and then what are you stuck on? So you just got to have discipline to do that every day. It doesn't matter how busy you are. You've just got to build that asset. Um, earlier I mentioned that's you know your team's your asset. So keep investing in your asset. It can be frustrating. You can pull your hair out, but it's the only way to go. The fastest and the most important way to grow your your, your firm is just delegation effective and proper delegation um that's the biggest that's the biggest thing so i think nick your daily huddle is absolutely critical because you know you've got to look at the metric you've got to look at what work they got that done today um you got to you got to plan ahead for the workflow so yeah we, we call it quad two quad two work which is um that's not urgent but it's important you know if, you, if you're working quad one um seven habits highly effective people it's all about you know putting out fires that's urgent and important Really, really good leaders and great managers, they always work in quad two, which is not urgent but important, and then you'll get smooth operations. You'll get preventative type activities that stop the fires happening and all that type of thing, yeah. Yeah, cool. I know, Jamie, you do a lot of um, employee NPS and obviously um, client NPS. Employee Absolutely. feedback, you, uh, from all of our clients, you, you do this really, really well. Do you want to just expand a little bit about how you gather the feedback because you've obviously got a dispersed um, offices in Australia, but also having mm. your global team in the Philippines. How do you gather employee feedback across your overall firm, and what value does that um, give you back to then be able to continue to to grow and keep um, people? Because you certainly have mm. really really strong retention rates across your business. Yeah, so we measure the retention rate. So look, um, we, there's different products in the marketplace you can use with technology these days. It's so easy to roll this out, but we use a little product called Tiny Pulse. Um, if you get a chance to the listeners, have a look at it. Um, Tiny Pulse is basically an internal net promoter score. So um, Harvard Uni did this 20-year study around what the net promoter score means. So you can you can look that up. So yeah, we we measure the happiness of all our 30-odd staff uh, once a month. So they just get a question once a month, how happy are you? And they give it a score of 1 to 10. You know, 1 means that you're going to quit and 10 means that, you know, you're really happy. Uh, every other week we do, the, it comes out with a different question. So there's different ways you can measure it. But if you think about what your biggest asset is, if you want to scale your firm, it's, it's, your, it's your team. So you need to know uh, what they're thinking why they're feeling that way. And Tawny Pulse, it's it's basically totally anonymous and I get all the feedback, um, but I would actually know who they are. So it does have an ability where if someone gave a one, for example, I can reach out to that person and email them and say, hey, look, I noticed you're giving us a one. You know, what's up? Let's have a chat. So the two most important groups of people to ask in your business for any business is your, is your customers. So you should be surveying your customers at least monthly. So you, you absolutely must do a net promoter store score for your customers. We get about a 70% hit rate on that uh, response and the same for the internal net promoter score. So um, yeah, if you can ask those two, a group of people always, and then every time you get a problem, fix the problem if there is one, um, you're just going to keep improving your firm over and over and over. So yeah, uh, I think it's the best kept secret in the world, the net promoter score in business. The, the big companies do it, but you know, with technology these days, the little companies, you know, the smaller firms, smaller businesses, they must do it. Yeah. 
And I agree, Jamie. And look, you, I must congratulate you because there's not, I haven't met a lot of accounting firms that focus that much um, internally as well as externally with their clients. And it's, pro it's one of the reasons why um, you are one of the most efficient firms that we've, that I've ever come across. And MPS is a, a big conversation. Um, a lot of people do it just to get a number to the market with, but I got some advice yeah. um, about eight months ago because we're we're big into NPS, both with our clients um, and internally, we do a lot as well. Yeah. Um, one of one of my mates from Entrepreneurs Organisation runs a big telecommunications company in Australia. Um, he said to me, he said, Nick, don't ever do NPS unless you're actually going to get bad results that you can improve. He said, if you're just <laughs> running it for marketing or just to get a number, it's a waste oh, yeah. of time. He said, you need to get, the point of NPS yeah. is to get the negative responses and take actions because if you don't know, you don't know and you can't improve it. So look, yeah. you know, love what you do. Um, love watching your journey with that as well. Um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit more around metrics. Accounting firms, it's one thing that I, I struggle when I ask an accounting firm how they measure success within their firm of their of their teammates, whether it be globally or locally. A lot of firms really struggle, but what mm. KPIs do you um, measure for success of both your local and your offshore team? Yeah, good question. Um, I love the answer to this one. Vern Harnish gave this one. I've seen him a few times and he said uh, that your metrics in your business are sort of like bringing up your kids. You need half a, half a dozen of... Um, basic rules and let the rest go and, he, and he's pretty much right so we have a sort of a live dashboard and uh, it's only really got six metrics on there that I look at and the guys and I look at to run the, the run the different divisions of the business but um, you know one of them is you know uh, different people have different opinions around doing timesheets and all that type of type of thing but one of the ones we look at is obviously just head, headline revenue versus what we budget so, um, you know, just headline revenue is is obviously number one. Um, you know, next one we look at is just gross profit. So we'll always look at gross profit and look at gross, look at gross profit per partner or per client manager. So, um, you know, that's pretty easy to do. If you run teams, you can look at what, you know, you, it's all about accountability. So uh, look at top line, top line revenue per budget per client manager or partner. Look at the gross profit, same thing again. You know, the net promoter score, again, we look at net promoter score, both internally and externally, by client manager. So, again, it's all about accountability. Account like in our business, you just cannot hide. There is nowhere to hide. Um, and it's a it's a fun, competitive competition. It's like going to the cricket and watching the scoreboard. You know, it's not draconian. My role is to give the guys the power to get the best result, you know, both from their clients and from their teams. So, an NPS, yep. So if we yep. talk specifically about your offshore team, what are the few KPIs that you would measure there, um, whether they're succeeding or not? Is there any specific ones that you would measure with yep. your offshore team? Definitely. Yeah, number one, I, I look at, you know, not every day, but, it, it, you know, just during the week is just their productivity. So when you get, uh, you know, you get four, five, six teams, it's really important to make sure that you can see that they're actually got enough work. So we have real-time productivity just on our school board, and I, I can see clearly when someone hasn't got work. A lot of the time, like, they won't always yell out and say, you know, I've got work, I've got work. But with your daily huddle, like you, you'll notify that. But, you know, every now and then it's it's like a it's like an aeroplane on autopilot, right? You know, your business is flying along, a lot of them's on autopilot, but it, every now and then it'll, it'll just sort of slide off. It'll slide off. And what the role of your metrics is, is to look, hey, oh, hang on, you know, oh, there's something we need to fix and you get that plane back on track. So productivity is one. Um, and then and then the other one is um, just completion time of job. So when a job goes in, we use a system called Carbon 
and I can see instantly, you know, which which jobs by which person are getting done the quickest. Um, so it's all about workflow management and output. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Love carbon. It's um. You know. Shout out to Wayne Schmidt and the team of carbon. But <laughs> look, that that is a great tool for managing workflow, particularly with a with a global um or a distributed office network like you have. Um. So let's yeah. talk a little bit more about how offshoring has benefited your your client. So how has it mm-hmm. benefited them um, more indirectly than directly? Look, it, it just benefits, Nick, by getting the work done. You know, like if you can't get the work done and in a timely manner by delegating work to other people as a partner or a client manager, you just can't grow. You know, like I've seen it before, you know, you've got a, you've got a new client and partner or client manager has got no capacity. So that you look at their face and say, oh, look, I just want a client, you know, they're, they're going to be a you know X amount of work with X amount of fee and you look at the guy's face and he and, and he just he just thinks, oh, you know, that's pain. That's that's more work. How am I going to fit that into the cup? <laughs> so yeah. so what, what the goal is, is um, always have spare capacity. So always have the ability, you know, there's no point going out doing a heap of marketing, getting all these new clients if you can't service them. So with your offshore team, have that spare capacity. They don't have to be 100% productive, even if they're sitting at like 80 or 70, you know, because you're always winning new clients. It's, I always say the analogy like a cup of water. So you, your factory is the cup and, and it's what it can hold and then the water's like your client. So you always want to have the water a little bit below, you know, a bit down below the top because you can't pour any more in. So I think <laughs> I couldn't agree more, but I think one of the problems that a lot of accounting firms have, Jamie, is that they don't do their capacity planning. Um, they set revenue targets, but they don't look at what people um, they need to hit capacity, which, no, you know, not you surprisingly, why so many accounting firms are late with lodgements um, yeah. and continuously so yeah. extensions. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. That's right. Like I've mentioned a few different accountants and one of the first things I do is a capacity plan. So you look at your fee base, you look at what you did last year and then we look at the factory. Okay, well, what what can the fac- factory out of say 30 whatever people, what can it physically deliver? If, if the factory, what it can physically deliver is like, you know, less than your fees, you've got a problem. You know, so, so you should every year in around June, May, June, you should look, you know, do a day's planning, go off site. You know, I'm doing a five-year plan at the moment and we're just going to lay out, you know, what the next five years is and how we're going to get to where we are. So, you know, get out before mind your desk, go and have a planning day with your senior leadership team, do your capacity plan, do your budgets, you know. You, you talked earlier, Nick, about, you know, metrics. One of the other key metrics we look at is we actually measure every day the clients that we lose and the clients that we win per client manager. It's a key metric to track because the only way you grow is keeping your clients and getting new ones. So if you're the CEO, you want to know which client manager is losing clients and which ones get new ones. So we, we, we keep a track on those you know, six core metrics and then tie back that, tie that back to performance appraisal. It's all about accountability. Yeah, love it. Love it, mate. So tell us a little bit more about how offshoring has contributed to giving you more time personally. Um, has it given you more life work balance? We, we don't like to call it work life. We call it life work balance. Has it, how's offshoring helped with, I suppose, your role um, and your business and your team not having to work excessive hours like we see a lot of accounting firms just flogging their staff? Yeah, I think it's, it's yeah, look, obviously, you know, the cost variation is different. Um, you know, you, you can just put more people on for the, a similar price. You can push a whole lot more work down. Um, so it, it really affects everyone, right from me through to the, the client managers, um, you know, everyone. So you, you just, you're just able to take more work on and 
no, you're not sort of pouring the water. You're not pouring the water into the glass, and it's just overflowing. You know, it's overflowing. People working, you know, weekends and you know, 50, 60 hour weeks. Like you, you know, you're just not at that point. You know, you, you should be able to run your business successfully with a greater bidder from nine to five. If you're not doing that, you're not really hitting where you need to be. So, so many people do it by what they call brute force. You know, brute force is just you know, 50, 60, you know, four, you know, outside your 40 hours a week. You know, it's, that's just what I call brute force. And I, I was there, I used to do that. Um, but with your offshoring team and proper delegation and proper leadership, you know, you, you can work from your nine to five, make some great money, have your life back as well. Yeah, yeah no, I couldn't agree more. Now, has offshoring had an effect on your average hourly rate for your firm, um, which is then equated to um, increased profit? Obviously not a reason to do offshoring, but what's the effect on your average hourly rate um, and the profit per firm since you've obviously got the team up and running? With your average hourly rate, it's an interesting question because you might take, for example, you could take, for example, longer to do a job. So, you know, the longer to do a job, if you're training some of those Philippines, you know, from um, the ground up, for example, the average hourly rate may drop, okay? But when you look at the gross profit margin, the gross profit may actually be improved compared to what, but compared to what you're previously doing. So average daily weight, uh, it's like all your metrics. You should never just focus on one metric. You should actually focus on, you know, like like a group of, you know, half a dozen to 10 or whatever. So even though your average daily may drop in some cases, your actual gross profit margin can go up. But in saying that, once once you get, say, someone like, you know, our senior accountants, um, the average daily rate's just as good as if you had an Aussie accountant, you know, like, and, and the profit, the profit margins, um, you know, it's fantastic. So, you know, we're at the point, as you know, Nick, we've been three, four years into the journey now. You know, some of our senior staff over there are like as good as, you know, like a $70,000 accountant here. So it's just worlds apart. So average hourly rate's great um, and your gross profit margins, you know, smashing it as well. So um, when we started in the early days, you know, let's be realistic, you, got, you know, depending on who you hire and who you get, the average LA mate right below. But because the cost variation is so different, it doesn't sort of matter too much anyway. So you just got to invest, invest, invest in those staff. And then, you know, once you get into the journey, like we are down the track, you know, so one of the things I'll just say to the listeners is don't think it's a quick fix. It, for us, it was a long-term strategic decision to do this. And we weren't this in for the, you know, the short, quick win we want to do it for the long term and part of our business model if it suits you fine and it works you know and um, it works for us so yeah great advice great advice Jamie so what I'm going to ask you for some more advice what bit of advice would you give your younger self um, from a business contents <laughs> good yeah great question um, yeah look there's actually I come across a video the other day by this guy uh, online called Ty Lopez and um it's a, it's a really hard hitting video, but, um, and I'd agree with Ty, you know, n- number one is um, get rid of the ego. So if I was a younger, a younger Jamie Johns, I'd say, you know what, I, I don't know nothing. <laughs> I know how to do a tax return. It's a bit like the e-myth, you know, so you know, get rid of the ego. That'd be the first one. Second one is uh, read about really successful people. So read about people who have, have perhaps achieved what you want to achieve. You know, there's that much information on the internet these days and uh, there's different authors so don't believe everything you read. Go to the source of um, 
what really successful people, you know, read. I mean, a recent book I'm reading is by a guy called Sam Zell, who's like this billionaire in America, but just a normal guy. But, you know, you just get an insight into how that guy thinks. And that's that's the real key. And the third one was would be, in my, is my opinion, is get a mentor. So if you've got goals or you want to achieve something with your business or your personal life or whatever, my my biggest advice uh, would be get a mentor because you just can't put a price on someone who's successful who, who's had, say, 40 years of experience. Um, how do you package that up? Like, how do you... How do you buy that? You know, like you can't you can't live a lifetime or two to get that experience. So if you can get a mentor who can, um, you know, bunny hop 35 years, why wouldn't you do it? You know, I think that's the world's best kept secret uh, as well, which is which is why I've, I've launched another business coming up called Wise Mentoring. So, yeah. Look, I've seen the benefits of you um, having a personal mentor and the growth that you've gone through. And I completely uh, agree with having a mentor and, and dropping the ego is a big one as well. Um, mm. So another piece of advice for someone looking to grow their accounting firm and their team, what's the best piece of advice um, you've heard or implemented um, that you could pass on to them? Grow your accounting firm and team. Yeah, I think just focus on overcoming the three barriers of growth. So leadership, so um, odd form of leadership team. You know, um, I'm just trying to think in the E-Myth, uh, the guy who started IBM, he says, you know, if you want to have a larger business and more successful business, act like one now, act, even though you're small, act like one now. So I'd uh, I'd get together and appoint a CEO, I'd appoint a COO, a, a CTO and a CFO. Uh, they're just internal roles and you might only have five of you, but that's fine. Um, so you want people to work in their flow, choose those people carefully. So yeah, get your structure right, get structure around that growth. So when you grow, you can just grow within those shoes. That's that's the key. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think just if, if you're really set on growth then and you're not sure how to do it, then get a mentor. Like that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's the key, absolutely. Excellent. So we're gonna finish off with what we call the five in five. So just oh, yeah. short, sharp answers here. So what cloud software does your firm use? Uh, look, we use Zero predominantly. So, yeah, absolutely. Just Excellent. cloud, yes. Yep. So, yep. what's your favorite app? Uh, my favorite app would be Tiny Pulse, I reckon. It's just absolutely brilliant to just measure the culture of your company. It's, it's all about when you get more than five, 10 people, the only way to really truly scale and get alignment is the culture of your company. I mean, we've all seen it. Uh, you know, we've seen the big companies do it like Apple. They're, and you know the culture of some of the places that um, are so successful is people. You know, the, you know, it's the best place to work at, and Tony Pulse will help you do that. Mm. Excellent. What's your must-read um, book each week? I read diversely. I mean, one of the books I'm reading at the moment is um, uh, Bruce Springsteen's autobiography. Now everyone knows the boss. Fascinating story. Um, you know, he he talks about when he was just really getting successful and about some of the bad business decisions he made. You know, he talks in his book um, about, you know, he was with some of the people he was signing contracts with, you know, he just did it because they were friends. And, you know, it's the same as the same in any business. You know, you've got to put the business first before friendship. You know, don't be too, you can be friends, but as long as they understand that the business comes first, the goose lays a golden egg. And I just love reading autobiographies of really successful people because um, you can track their journey and, uh, you know, in Bruce Springsteen's example, you know, he, he said, you know, that that really hurt him for quite a few years that he didn't put the business side of playing or writing and playing music first. You know, we've we've all seen really successful singers and end up with nothing. <laughs> 
you know, yeah. Bruce Bruce Springsteen is the opposite. He he actually owns every song he wrote from day one. Um, so n- not only a great you know musician, but a pretty damn good business head on the guy as well. So yeah, excellent. All right, great one. Favorite social media channel. Uh, look, I like Twitter. Um, I think I only follow three people on Twitter, and I think it's Elon Musk, Bill Gates. Um, I'm trying to think who else is, but yeah. Oh, and another another guy called Dave Goggins, who's just a, a freak at physical fitness. So uh, yeah, just inspiring people to just to read. You know, I think Warren Buffett's another one. Yeah. Yep, excellent. And your favourite KPI that you measure um, for both either your local team or your offshore team? Look, overall, from a CEO's point of view, is the EBITDA. You know, you can have multi-million dollars worth of revenue. We've all seen this as accountants and no profit. <laughs> so my number one would be, you know, a bidder, which is basically return on investment. You know, I'm a big fan of the net promoter score because they're the two most important groups people would ask is your clients and, and your internal your internal clients, if you like. So, but a big one on the bidder because that's, you know, the bidder um, just it's the bottom line. If you if you go to buy other businesses, you know, what are you going to look at? You're going to look at the bidder. Um, it's the key to start with, yeah. Yep. Excellent. Jamie, really appreciate your time today. If our listeners want to get in contact with you, um, you're an inspiring person. What's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Um, yeah, just go. Look, you can have a look at our new website. Um, it's called what. Uh, I'll give the details, Nick, but wise it's Wise Mentoring. It's W-I-Z-E, Mentoring. So yeah, just just go to that website. You'll have my my details on there. If um if 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 people want to reach out and contact me, that that's fine. I'll have details on on there, which is our uh, my new venture that I that I'm starting um to you know to help other accountants because I really enjoy I really enjoy helping other accountants and and bookkeepers in the industry and you know sharing the journey that that I've been on and what I think works and what doesn't work. And um, you know it, if if you help people in their lives, um, it, it gives you a great feeling and you're contributing back to the industry as well. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I agree. And um, look, I appreciate everything you do because I know that you speak to a lot of our both existing clients, but also our, our new clients and, and helping them along their journey. And I know that you won an industry award last year for um, your contribution to the industry. So, mate, as always, thank you for your time and um, really look forward to catching up with you again soon. No, thanks. Thanks a lot, Nick. Yeah, glad, glad to help out. Yeah. To follow our podcast and get insights from leading accountants, Simply visit theoutsourcedaccountant.com or visit iTunes or SourCloud and head to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. To connect with me personally, just look for my Twitter handle at Nick Sinclair or find me on LinkedIn at Nick Sinclair. Thanks and have a great day.